Welcome to Gay Homework. This is the podcast created as a platform for noteworthy individuals within the LGBTQIA community to gossip with me, your host, Brick Olson, about one queer in particular who inspired them along the way. Thank you for joining us. Um, So I want to introduce my two guests today. Um, We have Linda Simpson. Yes. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Yay. Uh, Linda has been a drag queen for almost 30 years as a performer, writer, playwright, and documentarian, including her slideshow, The Drag Explosion, which documents NYC's remarkable drag craze from the 80s uh, all the way to the mid-90s. Oh, that's fun. Where was that? Where was that? Well, there's a, if you want to go to see some of the photos, it's dragexplosion.com. Oh my god, that sounds awesome. Yeah, it's really exciting. Um Joining Linda and I on today's Gay Homework, we have Matthew Camp. Um, He's a clothing designer and model who launched his own clothing line, Matthew Camp Designs, as well as the fragrances Transgression and 8.5. There's also Camp now, too. There's also Camp now, too. Um, He's very popular on Instagram, uh, where his revealing selfies have earned him more than 490,000 followers. It's remarkable. Wowie zowie. That's a lot of followers. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah, so, um... Matthew, may I ask a question? Is Camp (laughs) your real last name? Yeah, yeah, it is. Hmm. That's interesting, because that's a really great segue, thank you, Linda, um, to who we're going to be speaking about today. Uh, Linda, who did you choose to profile in today's gay homework? Well, um, I told you this earlier, I hope that it's not too obvious, but I wanted to uh, talk about pop artist Andy Warhol. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, sometimes when I have somebody on the show, they express that they're a little concerned that the person they've chosen to profile is not obscure enough or needs to be, like, cooler. You know, and honestly, I had somebody approach me after, like, the fifth episode when I when I did this, and uh, it was a, a mom of three from my hometown that, like, checked out my podcast and has like been passing around to all of her friends and they're they're not queer they're not gay they have no idea what's going on besides maybe rupaul's drag race a little bit and so she was like you know i love your show she's like um and then i said yeah i mean it's really great and all but uh you know some of the people that we're profiling are such deep cuts i realized that we can really actually just touch on people that in the gay community everybody knows about um, but there are a lot of straight allies out there that don't know much about it. And honestly, there's a lot of gay people that have no idea who Andy Warhol is, too, and should know. Well, so it's great. Right. And Andy Warhol, of course, was more, um, you know, known back during his day also. So even though he's very, very popular and icon, he might not, every little detail about it might not be as known. Certainly. I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm, I'm hoping that this podcast can reach um, people who are, you know, far removed from mm-hmm. oh let's know. just say it you've got a stupid audience we've got a stupid audience <laughs> well i feel like if you're not in art school if you're not gay and if you're under the age of 25 there <laughs> might be a good chance that you don't know who oh andy there's a very warhol strong is. chance yeah. that you have no idea who andy warhol is all right anyway uh matthew who are you going to be profiling in today's gay, gay homework 
I actually also chose Andy Warhol. <laughs> Fantastic. Dare you. He would kidding. love that. <laughs> I chose uh, John Waters, actually. Oh. Yeah. See, that's where the camp thing comes in, I yeah. feel. He's just so filthy. and It's perfect. I love it. Um, have you guys read Sontag's Notes on Camp? Um, Susan Sontag. I've never read the whole thing, but I've read bits and pieces. How campy, <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, but yeah, uh, she's certainly um, insightful. I love. I think. I don't know what this is. What is this? Oh my god, it's so great! It's uh, it's this essay that Susan Sontag wrote about camp. Uh, Susan Sontag was a an intellectual, a writer, and she died um, a little while ago, but. She was um, very influential in her um, essays, I guess, including yeah. this one about camp. And her persona in general, I think. Oh, yeah. yeah. Anyway, but she wrote this really great uh, essay on camp, and that sort of spells out what is camp, what isn't camp. And it's kind of hard to understand because some because camp is so often of the moment. So when you look back and you see what she's talking about, you have no idea because the references she's talking about are very... Of that time, and I have no idea who you know she's talking about in some of it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we'll probably cut that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, great. So um, let's see. Um, uh, Linda, let's start with Andy Warhol a little bit. Actually, um, I'm wondering uh, what drew you to Andy Warhol to talk about him. Actually, <gasps> well. Um, first of all, I like Andy Warhol's artwork a lot. Yeah. So um, I grew up in Minnesota. So even when I was living there, I was familiar with his uh, very famous paintings of soup cans and Marilyn Monroe and mm-hmm. uh, his silk screens of art. And um, But what I think attracted to me even more so was that he had this... Um, all these counterculture eccentrics that were around him. Like he had the factory in the 60s, which was like a loft in New York City where he did experimental films and um, performances, et cetera. And he had a lot of drag queens and uh, people that were very underground. And like we are right now. Exactly. <laughs> so um, we are physically underground. The studio is underground. Yes, I know, really. So. I'm not trying to give you any undue cred, <laughs> Linda. <laughs> so, anyways, I really thought that was interesting the people that he surrounded himself with. Yeah. His and lifestyle. His lifestyle. And actually, and Andy, even though he wasn't a gay liberationist necessarily, was obviously gay mm-hmm. and very. Um, not flamboyant necessarily, but very um, affected in some regards. And so... But do you think people thought of that? I mean, what I've noticed with a lot of the profiles we do is that often when you reach a certain echelon or a certain uh, level of either notoriety or uh, monetary gain, if you like, if you're loaded, Mm -hmm. um, you can do whatever the hell you want. Yeah. And people just see it as, oh, they're eccentric. Yeah. And they can write it off as that. Especially during that era. I mean, Andy Warhol became famous during the 1960s. Right. Definitely. During that era, a lot of people were very naive about gayness, in fact, and would have written him off as, yes, eccentric. And he gave a very kind of like... But you can hide out in the art world. Well, of course. Exactly. But that was sort of like the appeal of him for me, too. It was like a secret or like, you know, an inner knowledge 
of course, I kind of knew that Andy Warhol was gay. I mean, my <laughs> radar, you know, kind set of it off. Yeah. My gaydar, I guess. But um, <laughs> but at the same time, it was sort of discreet in yeah. some regards. Right, right. It was more... And then also, um, Andy Warhol started Interview Magazine. Oh, yeah. And that could be found at certain bookstores in Minnesota. And I found that to be, you know, extremely glamorous. Right. And a real, you know way of looking at a different world than I've certainly had um, access to. Yeah, I mean, um, actually, that's interesting. That's kind of a segue, because, like, I wanted to mention uh, Fran Lebowitz's take on Andy and his use of drag queens and the superstars. Mm -hmm. Um, Fran Lebowitz was a writer uh, who wrote for Interview. Right, she had a column in it called On the Waterfront. Yeah, and she has a very... uh, She's a uh, Martin Scorsese directed her in... Her a documentary called Public Speaking, which she, everyone should check out because yeah, it's so great. But anyway, in that documentary, she has this quote. She says, within the last 25, 30 years, fame itself became an extremely valuable thing to people, divorced from anything else. And that is basically the fault of Andy Warhol. One of the things Andy did was make fame more famous because Andy kept using the word fame all the time. It was a joke. She adds, uh, this is what happens when an inside joke gets into the water supply. Um... And in that quote, somewhere in there, she also includes the fact that Andy would take these drag queens uh, and, you know, transvestites and trans women who, you know, at the time it was illegal to be in drag or whatever. So they were criminals, essentially. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, he took them and said, you know, and they all wanted to be movie stars, right? So he took them and said, you know, you're not just a movie star, you're a superstar. Mm -hmm. And then he used that culture to get, you know, to uh, help them achieve fame to some degree. Well, it was kind of a parody of fame. Right. And, you know, maybe some of those drag queens that you were talking about, like Hollywood Lawn and Jackie Curtis and Candy Darlin, did have, you know, sort of illusions or delusions of grandeur. Mm -hmm. They might have known, of course, that they... We're going only going to get so far in some ways, mm-hmm. but that's why. Yeah, I mean, I I agree. Maybe like people did get a little bit uh, caught up in the whole fame game, right? And Andy Warhol encouraged that. So yeah, so I mean, some, you know, like Fran, credit Andy with making fame more famous or whatever, but some say he was just sort of a prophet. Well, I think that too. I think. That if he, I mean, granted, he might have, like, lit the fire for a lot of this stuff or helped instigate it. But it would, but I think we were going towards that anyways, you know? I mean, and who knows? um, um, Maybe um, in some regards, Andy Warhol's given a little more credit than he deserves in that respect. Mm -hmm. You know, like, from, like, you know... Hollywood movie days, there's been a lot of clamor to be famous, you know? Right. He might have just um, pinpointed it a little more. Right. I think there's also, like, different levels of of fame, too. I I don't think a lot of these drag personas and trans personas necessarily thought that they would hit mainstream fame. Yeah. I think they were just having fame within their own community in New York. Yeah. It was probably, like, enough I, right. I mean, I couldn't speak for them, but I mean, 
Yeah. Being gay famous is a level of fame, but I obviously don't think that I'm going to transcend into like straight famous. Well, there was, there was, yeah, an associate. Uh, I mean, Divine kind of did. What's and that? Divine and RuPaul kind of did. Yeah. Right. But there was an association. Because they have an army of homosexuals behind them. <laughs> Yeah. There was an association. I mean, you've got four hundred ninety thousand followers, Matthew. <laughs> there was an association with them. Andy Warhol too that gave you some clout. So mm-hmm. if you had yeah. sort of Warhol's stamp of approval, or right. you know, you were in his inner circle, that did give you a lot of you know prestige right. within I've... New York's underground or avant-garde circles. Mm-hmm. I did read Holly Woodlawn's. Um, autobiography too it's hilarious and you know she was one of the warhol superstars she passed recently yeah yes and she but she does talk about like they did sort of like you know everyone was doing a lot of drugs back then everyone sort of did think uh, you know oh my goodness (laughs) all we need is a hollywood director to walk in on what we're doing here at this you know underground theater in manhattan (laughs) and we'll be discovered and whisked off to hollywood so there was sort of a lot of like delusion that doesn't happen (laughs) <laughs> well, maybe it does sometimes, but it Brian was, <laughs> but it was, it it was a little, you know, screwball too the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So anyway, at least they were having fun. <laughs> yeah, no, I yeah. think so. I think I mean we're well, enjoying I, themselves. I, I think people were a little like Valerie Solanas wasn't right. Well, I that's maybe a different case, but I think there was a lot of like some. There was a little bit of I think if you read any of those you know, memories by the Warhol superstars, there was a little resentment that they didn't make more money than okay. they Well, they to. probably spent it all on drugs. Perhaps. Because I hear the cocaine was pretty good back then. I don't even know <laughs> if cocaine was the drug. I think it was more on speed and, you know, hallucinogenics. Oh, like quaaludes? Uh, that, that too. But mm-hmm. I don't think coke really became popular until, like, the 70s. Um, so, actually, I guess I should... I mean, I threw out a name already, but Valerie Solanas. Well, like, I know that she. That's a Valerie sort of Solanas part was of... one of the. May I, if I may speak, Valerie <laughs> Solanas was one of the Warhol <laughs> hangers honors. Okay, and she was a nut. She wrote a book or a manifesto called "Scum," and it was for by the Society for Cutting Up Men, and then you know it was probably a cult oh, of yeah. one. Anyways. She became rather delusional and angry at Warhol for not producing, I think, some of her work or something like that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, she shot him and he nearly died. And after that, um, he did not associate himself as much anymore with this eccentric counterculture group that he used to. Oh, interesting. Hang out I didn't with. know that. Yeah, it was a real divide in his career. Then he started hanging out with a lot more moneyed and jet set people. Because some of it was um, careerist, because he wanted to paint their portraits and make money. But other was be- other the um, another reason was just because so, he didn't want these crazies around. Yeah, him just anymore. too much to lose. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. And yeah. also, I mean, I, I, you see it a lot. Like every in New York City and in LA, everybody wants to be famous. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants a piece of that pie. So like. Yeah, you know, I don't know if he, that was Valerie's Was he a gatekeeper? Exactly. What? So he was a gatekeeper. Yeah, they saw him as a gatekeeper. They saw him, you know, a lot of people like, mm, kind of, you know, um, yeah, saw Andy as this key to fame and why wasn't he including them along on this, you know, magic mm. carpet ride. I think it's kind of like what people pre- do to RuPaul too now. They really project on Ru yeah. what they want or what they want Ru to be. 
Thank God for Twitter, though, because I feel like Twitter really keeps people in Oh, line. it's the great equalizer. Yeah. Sometimes it inflames stuff a lot, too. Though. I mean, as we saw <laughs> recently. <laughs> right. But I think, but anyways, Andy Warhol or RuPaul or somebody that's in this kind of, like, elevated position, because they've worked hard to get there. Right. All of a sudden is expected to bring up, you know... Throngs of yeah, throngs of other you know right. creative people yeah, and that's not necessarily you know the responsibility. Of so that do you person. know his the timing of his work? So he did like the Elizabeth Taylor and stuff like that after the shooting. No, I think Elizabeth Taylor. I mean, his most some of his most famous silk screens um, of of like James Dean and Elizabeth Taylor, Marilyn Monroe were done. I think before he got shot. Okay. But a lot of his work after he got shot were commissioned portraits. Got it. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, like um, Diana Ross or Cher or, you know, mm-hmm. the Shah of Iran. You know, a lot of them who would pay big bucks, but it was a status symbol to right. have to these have a Warhol paintings. Painting. I mean, he was still doing other stuff, but a lot of it was very, you know, money-making operation. Definitely. Too. Cool. So, and, um, you know, Warhol had done a lot of films, too, in the 60s, these underground films. And I think that that wasn't as much in his life after. Yeah, I was going to ask a little bit about um, the screen tests mm-hmm. that he did. I know that there was, like, have you seen any screen tests? I've seen some of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you think of them? I think they're cool. They're cool to look at. He would do these video these like really filming. long and like yeah where yeah. We, like if matthew was I sitting <laughs> here we would put the camera on you matthew and you'd be expressionless and the camera no you would not be eating or doing anything and the camera would be on you and just by sitting there <laughs> matthew we would you we it's the viewer um and the viewee become entwined but it's interesting though you can read a lot um expression in a person even when they're just sitting there but also part of it was warhol's like aesthetic too was to be boring Mm. to not have stuff going on right and so in some ways it's boring too to just stare at anything no matter how interesting he or she may be you know so that's sort of like uh part of the technique conditioning part of the the artistic sensibility that was going on too yeah Um, a lot of the sorry a lot of the movie i made um didn't go. They a Which, lot. What movie? Oh, I didn't even mention that oh. in your in your bio. But, That's okay. Uh, what, what's the movie called? Getting Go. go. They Is actually. That the one with Mark Allen. No, no, no. Okay. That's uh. You have a couple of films. Let's just list your your body of work right now. Oh well, Getting Go is uh one that was made here in Brooklyn, but the directors used a lot of um Warhol screen tests to mimic a lot of the shots that were in that. Oh, was Getting Go? Go oh, the one that was shown at the Whitney? No. Oh, okay. Boy, he's got so many films. <laughs> no, it's crazy. He's got so many films. I love it. So, but there's Getting Go, which is the the one about uh, you as a go-go dancer. Well, it's like based off of yeah my your persona. Life. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Anyway, but that's interesting because we were just talking about pers- uh, about uh, the screen tests and how you were saying they're kind of boring because it's you know that's part of the the point yeah yeah um and then i just think of john waters who you're covering in today's game oh, yeah. <laughs> and how there's not a single boring moment and yeah, it's, no. um, he's like please eat some feces let me film yeah, it exactly <laughs> um so yeah uh and i i mean andy crossed over a bit do, did they know each other did they i'm sure do they we know did i mean they know yeah 
I don't know if they were tight, but yeah, I'm John sure Waters that they was... knew each other because John was, you know. Oh, and Divine uh, was hanging out with oh, Andy Waters. Yeah. yeah, they were all Andy Waters. They same were on that period. same, you know, <laughs> social circle in yeah. some regards. Cool. Um, anyway, Matthew, do you want to tell us a little bit about John Waters to start, like his background or something? Uh, John Waters is from Baltimore, Maryland. Mm-hmm. Um, he started making films there. I actually don't know an extensive no, no, that's biography. Not. No, no, no. But, I know, but I mean, just a few things. Like, explain the the dog shit eating thing well, um, to our viewers that don't know. So he produced viewers, a movie with listeners. Divine, who is his muse, one of his muses, and in, Divine was a drag queen. Yeah, she was a drag queen. Yeah, yeah. She was a character. Yeah, she was a character that was I forget Divine's actual name too. Uh, Glenn Milston. Glenn Milston, yeah. Milstead. Thank you, Linda. So Divine was created by Glenn Milston. So John used her, um, he used her as the sort of lead role in most of his films. Yeah. Um, I believe it's Girl Trouble at the end of Girl Troubles where... No, Pink Flamingos. Pink Flamingos, that's right. Yeah. Where um, Divine's eating some dog feces off the ground. So uh, what drew you to John Waters? <laughs> just, there's a couple of things that I really like about John Waters. Um mm-hmm. One of the things is the casualness at which he approaches things. Artistically, it's kind of like a just goes with the flow approach because he lets he gets this group of crazy people together, writes a script and then lets them sort of like all act it out, you know, and Mm -hmm. it's really not half assed but sort of haphazard. So it's like whatever happens, happens kind of thing. And then they film that. And it's sort of like this very unique experience because most filming is not like that. You can definitely see a, dis- a difference in his older work than his newer work. Mm-hmm. Where his newer work, his older work is very, very raw. It's a lot of like craziness and just random. It's just crazy. I love it. Yeah, yeah I wonder how much of his early films were um, improvised, or you know, um, but they seem like it. Certainly, I'm sure a good portion. A good portion. Of I mean, them. I know he's kind of a um a control freak i think he said that himself but you're right it had a lot of the early stuff had to be just getting a bunch of crazy people together and interacting yeah and i think like there's things that he was very specific on like divine's costume and things like that i know that he had very specific ideas about what he wanted for that right but i think a lot of the times it would be like divine the egg lady going at it and of course you're not going to interrupt that even if it's like off script oh yeah definitely not i remember um last summer actually he did a talk in fire island daniel nardisio put it together and uh we he did like a talk back so i got to ask him a question and i asked him what you know like he seems to have launched so many careers of so many stars like maggie gyllenhaal and stuff like that and like work with people before they become really big um and so i asked him like how does he spot them you know, like, how does he know? And he said, he said, you can't call yourself a storyteller. You can't be, like, precious about anything. He's like, mm-hmm. I want somebody that will be, like, you know, awake for 24 hours, like, you know, in the freezing cold and just wanting to get a fun, crazy take. Yeah. You know, and it seems his whole identity is sort of improvisational in that way. But also just sort of studied and grounded in a lot of, uh, you know, stuff from the from like references and stuff from the past i mean he's not too referential and he's not very like he doesn't fall back on himself a lot but it seems like you know he knows what he's doing it's solid and then you just have fun with it Mm -hmm. it also feels like he doesn't have this sort of uptight view of the world he's like willing to sort of make fun of it and well i 
think, you know, John wants to be classified as filthy or his movies. Exactly. So he wanted wanted to. The producers know what they're getting into. Yeah, I think, you know, that's his reputation. Of course. But his later films weren't that filthy. Mm. Well, I, they, I mean, they were sort of overtaken by society at large. I mean, yeah. he was the one that really explored a lot of issues, right? Or not issues, but did a lot of stuff in his <laughs> movies that was so wild at camp because no one else was doing it back yeah. then. Yeah, but now, kind of like every TV show does that kind of stuff now. Yeah, yeah. he kind of led the way, totally. right? Definitely, the pioneer, definitely. Um, Have you ever met John Waters? Matthew? Not in person, no. Mm-hmm. Have you? Uh, I you know what it was funny. I saw a movie once at the Quad Theater, and I can't remember what it was. Some foreign film, and I was there alone, and John Waters was there alone. And when we were walking out, we happened to start talking about the movie together. And so as we were walking out, there were all these people waiting in line for the next movie. And then I was so cool because people thought I was like you know probably really best friends with John <laughs> really Waters. Close to John had Waters. Gone into was the he movie. surrounded by a bunch of blonde boys? No, he wasn't at that point. Why is that his? That's like a thing? thing that I've heard more than once. Is that John? He likes, I'm blonde. I am he blonde. Likes John. Blonde. <laughs> he likes an entourage of blonde men around him. Oh well, who doesn't? <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, right? <laughs> well, good for him. Um, rightly so. Um, I was I, just curious. If I think that was... he wasn't at the time. And yeah, I haven't. Se- I mean, I think I've <laughs> been in rooms with. John Waters before, but I don't remember him. You don't remember the, that sort the, uh, of entourage. pile of blonde. But, but he probably appreciates, you know, attractive youth, you know? <laughs> Who doesn't? Well, there you go. Yeah. I mean, it gained you so many followers. So uh, let's but talk I'm a little not bit. that young. I know. Well, <laughs> say that. You have like a cherubic baby face, right? I know. Um, but it's interesting. I think that I'm, I'm glad, Linda, that you chose. I mean, we planned this before we even really, I before we even knew uh, who you were going to choose. In fact, you guys know each other prior to this, obviously. Matthew and I know each other, right. yes, because we met on the nightlife scene when Matthew was just starting out, I think it's go-go career, right, Matthew? Uh, yeah, I think it, I'd been dancing for like a year at maybe Sugarland. Oh, okay. Yeah. In, but in Brooklyn? You were my first, well, maybe not my first, but you were one of my early Manhattan gigs all right well yes and when we met we were at a bar oh in manhattan yeah so yeah and then but then you started working the bars and the clubs a lot in manhattan, i oh my right? god like four to five days a week yeah no how was that was exhausting uh was it exhausting well i was i mean both of you guys work four or five days a week well i wasn't i mean i have but yeah. I think Matthew outdoes me. <laughs> <laughs> I I definitely tried to not drink mm-hmm. or have sex with anyone that I worked with. I think that was really the sort of the thing that allowed me to work at these places for so long. I just skipped right over all the drama. Mm-hmm. And then you, can I ask a question of Matthew? Please. Matthew, did you consciously walk away from go-go dancing? I mean, was it like, I'm stopping this? Or was it just sort of a gradual turning well, to something else? I didn't want to be like 40 in go-go dancing. Not that I have a problem with it. It was just I had been doing it for so long. I was like, I need to change do the something else. Also, I consciously decided to take a break from it so that I could sort of recast myself in this social eye as something else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So there was a bit of a game plan. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Huh. I'm glad that you asked Matthew to do the podcast without any clothing on today. <laughs> I know. He looks Are great, you impressed guys. by my penis? He looks so good these days. <laughs> Taking the break from go-going was a great idea. Uh, uh, um, uh, uh, actually, there was one person on the um, Warhol's uh, um, scene. You know, yeah. he had this string of um, superstars, he yeah. called them, like Hollywood, long, blah, blah, right. blah. And did you know Joe D'Alessandro? Joe D'Alessandro. Did yeah. you know who that was, Matthew? Joe was like the stud of the group. Oh, he long hair. Yes, he did have heroin long hair for a long time. Well, yes, I think yeah. he would even. He was gorgeous. Say oh that. My God. What do you say? I, 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 he was on a podcast actually with Alec Baldwin. On here's Alec Baldwin's. Oh, podcast. well, he here's did go to a, uh, onto he's a successful acting. Career. Yeah, he's he's really interesting. Yeah, he he. I would like to hear that um, uh, episode. Yeah, no, he's very. Um, but he was really interesting too because he was kind of discovered. I'm not quite sure. I think he was doing like. I want to say he was just doing, like, you know, construction work or something around, you know? Yeah, I think it was something like that. They, he saw him off the street, I think. Something like that. Is, yeah. And then he was brought in, and he would play, you know, the sexy male role with all these, you know, drag queens and other crazies, kind of like, you know. <laughs> He's the straight man. Pawing over his body, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. lusting after him. But he was actually really good in those um, movies, because he's very, like, you know, sexy and deadpan while everyone else is crazy. Yeah, that's what I try to be. Um, Actually, Matthew, there's a quote that you had. I can't remember what it was. I think it was in some video that you did for Grindr or something. Oh, maybe. Uh, You said gay people used to be total outlaws. They were outsiders and forced to create their own community that included really fucking cool cultural phenomena like drag queens. You don't see that as much anymore now. A lot of gay culture is becoming homogenized and acceptable, which isn't a good or bad thing. I don't believe in good or bad ideas. I don't believe in the idea of good or bad. I see both sides. But we're losing that outlaw thing. But it doesn't make it easy. But it does make it easier for people to come out and makes um, winning equality easier. And I thought that was interesting. And I think that that's something that we we face a lot as we're because we're the gay community, like as a community is relatively young and new. Right. I mean, gay rights, you know, there's always an undercurrent. But, you know, we it's funny because like finding information about a lot of different uh people from the past who are gay history is hard to research it's really hard to research yeah and um and and you know even for even for people who it's their job um there's that really great instagram account uh, lgbt underscore history i highly recommend for everybody would love to have them on the show actually they highlight people and do like really really thorough explanations of you know who they are and stuff like that but i think it's so interesting that that you mentioned the fact that like that the culture is changing and is continuing to change how do you see that now like i mean even from that when you said that quote i'm sure you feel differently about things now too. i do it's it's so interesting because i think that um i recently listened to this other podcast i don't remember what the name of it was was you've been cheating on me pop something it was about music and they went over like a brief history of queer music oh yeah and the guy that um was talking about the music mentioned something to the effect of a lot of uh gay history gets sort of straight washed um Mm. and sort of swept under the carpet and not really um 
it's not really kept around. You can't really access it in books and stuff like that. Right. I mean, we have the internet now, which makes it easier to sort of do that. But um, like back in the in like the pre World War Two, there was in Berlin there was a pretty thriving gay culture where people were living with you know Weimar partners and yeah, it was a uh, you know pretty pretty acceptable. And even like in the American jazz scene, there was. Um, most women were bisexual in the American jazz scene, apparently, according to this guy. And That's like crazy. there was a lot of homosexuals and so there were these these um sort of other avenues available. Yeah. Um, but you don't learn about that growing up and um when I was a kid I grew up to have a witness and oh, uh, a lot of the literature that I got as a kid was like, Don't be gay, you'll wind up with AIDS and on heroin on a disco floor and then they had like pictures uh, of like these like just like totally people like wasting. Oh, yeah, people awful. wasting in like disco pants on like light up floors. <sighs> and so that's what like when yeah. I was a kid I was like, Oh my god, this place looks amazing and scary <laughs> and like disco. Yeah, yeah. Um <laughs> like a moth to the flame. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, it's it's interesting how much we've ch- changed as a culture and yeah. how things that seem like outlawed stuff is is now, you know, it just shifts, it keeps shifting and it continues I think, to shift. Yeah, I think there's, I think what happens is, um, you know, we live in a very like Christian quote unquote nation. And so I think a lot of times people like shed their kids from seeing that stuff or even having a positive outlook for what a gay lifestyle could be mm-hmm. um, as even an option. So I think a lot of times, you know, people think, oh, we're helping our kids out. We don't want them to think that they can do that. We want them to choose to be straight, you know, kind of thinking. And I think that's really where a lot of this stuff stems is like, is just being afraid of gay culture and you know, right, trying to hide it. Was that the question? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, mostly I just wanted to discuss, like, and Linda, I mean, how do you see? Because you, uh, you definitely have a lot of personal stories. I'm sure with the AIDS crisis, which is still ongoing, it's not over. Um, how do you, how do you see the culture has shifted and stuff like that from the 80s, from you know when the drag explosion happened? Oh well. Mm. You mean? Uh, I know that's a really broad question. Well, you know the the that gay explosion I was talking about covers you know late eighties to the mid nineties. Mm-hmm. So yeah, certainly things have changed a lot. Um, I mean, you know, you mentioned AIDS back then; it was kind of you know out of control, and um, it was sort of a death sentence, really. And now it's not, thank God. And um, also, in terms of gay acceptance, I mean, it's incredible, you know, the strives. The how, does that, that how, do, how does that feel? Like, when you were... Because, like, now, honestly, when... It's it's wild for me, and I'm relatively... I'm relatively young. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and when, uh, when I think about, you know, like, my teenage years and the way being gay was perceived, it's very vastly different than than how it is now if like if you're a teenager and you see so many you have so many options for role models well yesterday i actually went to a movie screening it's called love simon oh right and it's about it's a coming of age uh, a coming out story about this 17 year old or in suburban land and he has his friends and uh this group of friends and uh his family is kind but he's still afraid to come out 
But anyways, the movie's kind of formulatic, but it's very sweet and it's well acted. Anyways, it's going to be released in 4,000 theaters or 3,000 theaters across America. They're going to try to appeal to a mainstream audience. And I thought it was like, you know, I mean, something like that would have been unbelievable, you know, 20 years ago. You know, for something right. to get such mainstream acceptance. Or and to be so pedestrian. <laughs> money and push. Yeah. And maybe that yeah. is a, a little pedestrian, but at the same time. No, no, that... that's what I mean. Yeah, it's. I mean, I mean that in a, in a positive way. Well, okay. Yeah. Um, but in the, in a way. It's a dig, but it's also not. Well, it's kind of like how heartening it is mm-hmm. for teens, you know what I mean, to see this movie down at their local cinema. Right, we can make cheesy gay films now. Well, exactly. But I mean, but maybe cheesy is not even the right word. Maybe gay, inspiring. You know, inspiring. True. I'm I'm a jaded New Yorker, don't listen. But anyways, (laughs) my but I do kind of like, of course, (laughs) you know, some of gay culture loses its edge when it becomes more mainstream. You know, there's not quite the underground. I think that it opens itself up to diversity. Yeah, I think that's the reality. Is that it used to be you were forced into this edgy sort of like you are daring if you are out and you are whatever. But now it's like you can be, you can still be, you know, wild and crazy, and you can still be like super queer, and you can still be, you know, you can still be different. I think, or you can be a a very heteronormative sort of white bread kind of. Gay. Yeah, it's like choosing and, and it's like, you know, I mean, it's weird because it changes the nature of of gayness, I guess. But, mm-hmm. you know, we just have to learn as we go. And I'm probably wrong and I could be wrong or whatever, but we get to discover that. Well, I think that's why the Internet is so important is because I think the Internet allows for people to explore those sexual sides of themselves that they wouldn't necessarily have access totally. to. Totally. Now, what is this called? The inter... What? The inter... <laughs> it's a place where people go together to... Oh. You wouldn't understand it, Linda. Camera. I must find this Internet. <laughs> well, you're right, though. The Internet has, like, you know, been such a breakthrough in uh, allowing people who would never have any, like, knowledge... Or interactions with other gay people to finally be able to, you know, explore yeah. in their own time well, and come I mean, yeah. of their own home instead yeah. of, yeah. It a lot. I mean, not just gay people though, but like any sort of culture. Right. Really. Exactly. But right. that's kind of why. And yet we still don't. And yet we still sort of stay to our tribes often. Well, perhaps, and maybe that's why when. If you mentioned John Waters' name and someone said who, you might think, well, don't you have the internet? Can't you go out? Well, that's why, I mean, honestly, that's why I wanted to create gay homework. And also, obviously, disclaimer, yeah, I'm calling it gay homework, but obviously we're covering different, you know, expressions. It's not just gay. We have things in the pipeline that is that are, you know, queer, lesbian, transgender, like uh-huh. anything that sort of falls under the blanket. Gay is just the term. Is queer um, like the, the blanket? I don't even know. I mean, it depends. It depends on whatever anybody wants. What does the I stand for? Uh, Intersex. Okay. Uh, Sometimes. I guess it's been like other, others as well. Interested. Interested. (laughs) I like interested. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Oh, I was going to say that I think that, you know, that's why I wanted to start this, because so often I had friends uh, who, you know, were older queens or something like that. And they'd be like, well, how do you not know about so and so? And I'd be like, well, nobody gave anyone an opportunity. There was no centralized sort of aggregated spot to learn about this stuff. And that's why I think that there are a few people that are trying to, you know, come along and give us the opportunity to, like, listen to, you know, listen about 
you know, our past and dig in a little bit about the past and find out some things that happened in the past that we weren't told about or we don't know about or have gotten gotten lost. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. Yeah. So uh, now we're going to move on to uh, our segment of the podcast where we do quotes. Um, the intro is done by the inimitable Jermaine Jagger, the DJ of Bushwick. Oh, yeah. I know Jermaine. You know Jermaine. He's DJed for you before. But how, what, we mean, have you recorded? He's here. He's hiding, Linda. He's coming out right <laughs> no, now. she's looking around. <laughs> no, I have it pre-recorded and we're going to add it in and it's going to go right now. What she say? Oh, there it was. Um, anyway, Linda, if you want to say uh, a Warhol quote, one of your favorites, one or two. Do you want to read it? Do you want me to pull it up for you? Or do you want to remember? Well, Warhol's most famous expression or quote is in the future, everybody will be famous for 15 minutes. Right. Which I've read is like like people debate whether he said that or not. They debate whether he not he said that at all. Whether he said it, yeah, whether he was the one that said it or not. Oh, allegedly, well, certainly he's well known. Which he for would that. probably love that people are writing that article, right? Um, maybe I've <laughs> never heard there was any dispute, but of course it was commentary about in our fame-driven era, everyone will get you know a moment to shine. But it also mm-hmm. tells, uh, it also says something about how fame is so fleeting. Yeah. And, you know, you've got to really jump on that 15 minutes. You do. If you get even that much. But especially with the advent of reality programming, he did sort of, you know, foresee the future. Yeah. Where everybody um, who's not necessarily a star gets their moment in the sun. (laughs) You hear that? Mm -hmm. Um, I also loved one of the... Linda gave me a list of quotes of uh, Andy's, and one of the ones that I really liked was the... uh, Social disease one. You want to say that one? Oh, you'd have to read it because I couldn't quote it exactly. Okay, well then I'll I'll read this quote. Linda <laughs> passes one along to me. I have a social disease. I have to go out every night. If I stay home one night, I start spreading rumors to my dogs. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I love that expression, social disease, because I had that for a long time mm. where it where I needed to go out. Every FOMO. Night. We call that FOMO now. Yeah. FOMO. Yeah. What does that stand Fear for? Fear of missing out. Oh, I like that. FOMO. Um, but social, well, I like social disease also. And, um, but it is <laughs> That's that. So formal. Yeah. Irre- well, also, like, isn't like syphilis a social disease? <laughs> Perhaps. But I <laughs> like. Some. But, anyways, it's that irresistible drive to go out and be part of the nightlife. Yeah. And, and it's so can't. acute. It's, you know, when you've got it, you have it. Yes. And, and But it doesn't mean it lasts for your whole life. No, it, it doesn't. It doesn't mean that it's a totally bad thing We are here to either. let the children know, you may have it now, you will not have it eventually. <laughs> but it's not totally a bad thing either, no. too. In fact, it's I shaped think... Your, it helps shape your identity. I think in this day and age, um, even though Matthew is espousing the internet, there are some bad things about it, too, and that it keeps everybody in front of their screens. And so for people to get out of their house... Yeah, you call it BC, right? Before a cell phone? Exactly. Love that was an that era. Um, but, but for people to get out and have one-on-one um, interfacing, I think it's great. Mm-hmm. So if you've got a little FOMO or social disease, I think it can be healthy, actually. I was talking with a friend recently, and she was telling me about how, like, 
she we were both sort of laughing about how crazy we were when we were younger because we loved going out so much that we would like sit at home and like almost like be on the verge of tears or like actually in tears because like you need to be at the party so badly <laughs> but you just physically can't do it mm-hmm. like you pulled a double at your job <laughs> and you like still want to go out and you're just like I'm gonna miss this this is gonna be the worst thing in the entire world but I have to be there so you actually like you know dry your tears and go to the club ah. Uh, anyway, um, Matthew, do you have any quotes from John Waters that you can think of? I read this part wrong and gave you quotes that I. Oh, that's fine. Whatever. But I. Could... I read the assignment wrong. Yeah, I could turn on my. Here, I want to. Can I? I'll just say one of my favorite John Waters. Yeah, quotes. please. Let me um, turn my phone. So you, on. if gave... it's not poop, don't eat it. <laughs> you gave brick quotes. Of yours or quotes of yours from interviews? You? Yeah, I was like, "That's oh. weird," and then I just copied and pasted. That is hilarious. Oh, whatever, I like it. Yeah, I'm not. A, read I'm not like a good reader. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a good reader. <laughs> no, I am. I just have like such a short attention span. I read things once and then go. Linda, some of these John Waters quotes just remind me of you so much. <laughs> oh, let's hear. Uh, I thank God I was raised Catholic, so sex will always be dirty. <laughs> I wasn't raised Catholic, but I know what it, what it means. Right. There's that one that he but says. Do you relate oh, yeah, to yeah. that, Matthew, with your Jehovah's Witness? Yeah. Background? Yeah. What was your? What were you raised? Um, a Protestant. Protestant. Um, you know, kind of mainstream Protestant. Yeah. I was raised Lutheran. What? I was raised Lutheran. You we know what? My first. What is Lutheran? Lutheran is so. Uh, it's the first Protestant, actually, if I may. Um, uh, Martin Luther, the ori- the first, the original, the first Martin Luther, uh, tacked up not the 95, King. not Martin Luther King Jr. Okay. Martin Luther was this, uh, German person, a priest who really didn't like a lot of things in the Catholic church, like buying your way into heaven, which you could do, I guess, at the time. Uh, and he tacked the 95 thesis up onto, onto the door of the church and was like, I'm sick of this. And uh, anyway, he wanted the Catholic Church to change, but it didn't change. And instead, a bunch of people who really liked what he said started their own religion, basically. Anyway, my Lutheranism was fun because we had like a lesbian pastor. She was out? And uh, I don't think that she, I think she was out personally and out to our congregation. But like the church wasn't really okay with that at the time. I think they're fine with it now. She wasn't, like, going around to kids being like, guess what I do when I go home? No. (laughs) She wasn't John Waters. Um, uh, Anyway, um, it was really funny, though, because it was one of my first sort of, like, moments where, like, she and I, like, had a really great connection. Who, the minister? Yeah, the, the lesbian pastor. And so she and I were, like, I was, like, I really like Pastor Dawn. Her name is Dawn. I was, like, I really like Pastor Dawn. And my mom was, like, oh, that's great. And I, years later, I realized, like, oh, it's because she was a lesbian. I was a gay guy. And I was like, I think we vibe. I think you're cool. Yeah. Anyway, um, here's the John Waters quote that I love. It's, uh, if you go home with somebody and they don't have books, don't fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great Which point. is a little difficult now because a lot of my books are, you know, online and on my devices. So Right. But I think it still has the it's still same meaning, even if the... F- physical books weren't there right exactly if you go home with someone and they don't have a book have a a single not even a coffee table a pamphlet a pamphlet (laughs) 
Well, John Waters is so funny. He's so clever. I've seen John Waters actually do a live show. Like, he just does a solo show and just talks. Right. Somewhat about his life, but he just kind of goes on on different subjects, too. But he's very clever. Yeah. Very funny. Um. All right. Well, I think that we're... I think we're nearing that time. Of, right? of what? Of the end of the show. <laughs> of what? Oh, okay. Where I Kill You, Linda. <laughs> uh, uh, well, thank you so much, Brick, for having me on as a guest. With thank you. Yeah, thank you. This was fun. I hadn't really seen fun. Matthew in a while. so I know. I'm so glad I was able to get you guys back together again. <laughs> you guys finally made up. Made up. Oh, or we made out. Ne- we were never in a fight. How could you be mad at a face like this? Are you looking at me or are you looking at yourself? <laughs> we both know the answer to that, Linda. <laughs> um, anyway, thank you guys so much. And uh, keep an eye out uh, on social media for Gay Homework. Our stuff is at Gay Homework on every platform, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever. Um, and I want to talk about plugs for you guys. Um Linda, you have your uh, weekly bingo at La Poisson Rouge. Yes, I'm a game show hostess. I'm there every Friday and Saturday. And you can go to lindalovesbingo.com. Mm-hmm. And the drag explosion, as we've mentioned a few times. Dragexplosion.com. <sighs> She's all on the internet. Yes, indeed. I'm very modern. <laughs> and someone else who's also on the internet all the time. Uh, Matthew, like, what else do, can we plug? What else? Where else can we see you? You can see me on Tumblr. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tumblr. Uh, I actually have an OnlyFans. OnlyFans, right. So what is OnlyFans again? It's basically like an adult Tumblr. Great. So you pay like a monthly fee and then you get to see all my That's ad- what do you like adult are you, content. Are you having I, fun? I love it. I love yeah. it. Yeah, because it's stuff that I would be posting on Tumblr, but it would get taken down. And you not but, Tumblr, um, Instagram. Uh, Instagram, right. Yeah. And you but are you able to communicate with the people that you Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's I so fun. Add, yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's fun. Uh so you have that and then you have your your fragrance line, which is so cool. I was reading a lot about that before we did the interview. And oh, I, my God. I love it. It sounds I love it. I so love it. I love great. Yeah. Um, what's your latest one called? Camp. Camp. Yeah. And it has notes of? It smells like uh, a wo- the woods during the fall, like after a rain. Mm-hmm. And a little bit of, a little bit like urine. Maybe horse urine. Great. <laughs> it smells like a farm. It actually smells delicious. I know that sounds disgusting. <laughs> no, that is mm, horse I, urine. <laughs> I think everyone here is probably going to be rushing to buy that. Uh, you really? In this room? I'm not even being sarcastic. <laughs> um, yeah, and you also have uh, your clothing yeah, that you've been yeah. designing as well. Uh, where can we check that out? Up, uh, MatthewCampDesigns.com. Okay, great. I'll have new cool. t-shirts up soon. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. It was really, really fun. Thank you very much. I like doing my gay homework. Yeah, do your gay homework. Make sure. And if there's any people that we mentioned in this, then in passing or whatever, it's just a quick Google, guys. All you have to do is just type it into Google and you'll find something wildly interesting. All right. I love it. Thanks. Thanks.